I'm gonna trick former guest, Ben, into making us a theme song. That's it. Okay. Better, closer, warmer. Uh, all modern art is communistic. I want to be the first man to nut in space. Fuck you. Fuck off. Where are we finding it? Why can't we Better, find it? Closer, Why do you guys warmer. keep saying all this change? We're playing Fortnite. Let's have fun. We need to get to that post-World War II mentality where Better, closer, no one in the warmer. world is going to Twitch and typing in climate first. Don't tweet us about how our stuff's inaccurate. At this point, I don't think the N-word tape would change anything. The piss tape might. From New Orleans to New York. It's the Alienos Podcast, baby. Dude, that was TNT. Welcome back to Villano's Podcast. I'm Smith. I'm Seth. And I am the voice that makes you moist, Marcus. Moist voice. <laughs> nope. That was that tested zero out of a hundred with the people. Yeah. Yes, it was vetoed immediately. Don't you remember? It was not great. Didn't test well. Audiences yes. did not like it. Each of our listener didn't like it. <laughs> It's like it's like how in the movie Deep Blue Sea they were gonna have the, the lady scientist survive at the end, but audiences hated her so much they went back and added the shark eating her. Hey. That's what that's what Moist Voice was. <laughs> I mean to be fair, she started this. Why should she get to live? That's a goddamn good point, Marcus. Deep Blue Sea is one of those I need to revisit. I haven't watched that one in a while, and I know it's a, a little bit of a fun ride. Oh, it's so fun. <laughs> So, that's me. a real Marcus movie. Uh, there, there are a it couple is. movies that I like deem as Marcus movies. Deep Blue Sea is definitely one of them. Now, can, can you define a Marcus movie? I for can't. It? But when I see it, <laughs> yeah. I know that it's a Marcus movie. It's like porn. Great. Well, yeah. It's like, well, yeah. Uh, hey, you do a lot of the movies you like are very good. Yeah. And they're right. Marcus it, movies. It, it's a movie you could see Marcus watching like by himself. Exactly. Okay. Alright. And then, like, the entire time he's like, yeah. <laughs> That's a Marcus movie. This is good. Mm. <laughs> High quality, yes. <laughs> and we have to, we have to, we cannot include every single anime, which is one thing that you do, that, that will all count as Marcus movies. Yeah. But we, we, those kids can't all be counted. In so fact, I don't, to... I don't count any anime, so. Okay. Yeah. Haters. <laughs> Unless um, Hayao Miyazaki counts. I'm pretty sure you like his movie. You're, those are Marcus. Oh, yeah, those are Marcus. yeah, Miyazaki's amazing, yeah. man. Hayao Miyazaki transcends the, 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 the entire medium of anime. And just to be good movies. You know that his first movie was uh, a Lupin the Third movie? Really? Yeah. For, yeah first yeah. movie he ever directed was Lupin the Third, the something Cagliostro or some shit. It's on Netflix now. Yeah, that was his first movie. So he actually got his start kind of extending off of an anime and then went to where he is now. I know about Lupin the Third. I haven't really watched much Lupin the Third. It's like a French co- like, like story, and then the, they turn into some anime. Movies yeah, and they, or they made it into like an anime, and it's you know it's very you know witty, and he points at people when they did something wrong, and he has the hair. You know, it's a good. No, that's 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 Phoenix right. No, but Lupin the Third still has, Lupin the Third has distinct hair, and he does point at people. Okay, but he's so, a criminal though. He's a thief. Yeah. He points at people, though. And he has hair! I'm not wrong on this. I mean, I point at people and also have hair. You don't have very much hair. 
I have so much hair. You don't have. You have not seen Marcus recently. You don't have. Did you not see that picture hair. that I just posted? Look at all that hair. You don't have distinct hair. You know, like I a, do like remember a pompadour. A, someone once posted a scene from one of those Lupin movies where uh, he's like trying to, I guess, like literally get into a girl's pants, and she opens her legs. And a boxing glove on a spring shoots out, hits him in the face. <laughs> it's it's very it's very funny. It's it's straight up cartoon bullshit. Lupin the Third sounds akin to like Ace Ventura Pet Detective. They they, they same like, energy. They have the kind of the same kind of energy. Yeah. A movie, by the way, that did not age well. Not at all. Um, Once you get to the ending and you find out what the villain is, boy, that movie goes straight to hell. Yeah, not a great movie there anymore. I thought the greatest scene in those movies ever though is in the second one where he emerges fully naked from that mechanical rhino's ass. Yeah, he just, yeah, <laughs> rhino just births him. It's insane. That's, that's a perfect it's a perfect movie scene. I will hear no no criticisms of it. Jim Carrey had a run where he could just do no wrong. We were that just like true. everything Jim Carrey's in, we love. Every yeah, movie, every is, movie good. is good. Just like the Sonic movie. Yes, I'm. Ex- I'm very excited for the Sonic movie. Yeah, me too. I'm not unironically excited for the Sonic movie. Yeah. I'll do oh, this. Nice. All right. I'm okay. upset they pushed it back because of people on the internet complaining. Yeah, get a life, nerds. Yeah, listen to Look podcasts, fine. idiots. Yeah. The true, the arbiters of truth and and uh, learning. Exactly. But you know what? Speaking of porn, yes. Uh, smooth, smooth uh, transition. Let's here. get into it. <laughs> We have our man on the street, uh, straight up gumshoe, shoe leather reporter, Marcus here, to tell us about some porn stuff. Alright. Porn stuff. It, am I just like our, our porn delegate now? Just, this is Marcus's I porn mean, corner. You are the nastiest one, so yes. Oh. Yeah. Okay. I'm pretty sure you're, of the three of us, you're the nasty boy. You're the raunchy man. Yeah. Wait, wait, hold on. How am I the nastiest one you're, here? You're the one, of us, one of us has has swam in a lake of shit. Look, that was one time, yeah. and we're talking about sexual stuff. We see, I'm basically a celibate monk, so that just leaves you pretty much. Seth's a good boy. Seth, you, you, you do the sex. I'm the good boy. I mean, we don't have to get into it on the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying, I don't like this title of nastiest. You don't want to be the nasty man? Okay, let's all describe the uh, nastiest hentai any of us has ever watched. Marcus, you first. Let's not. (laughs) Go ahead, Marcus. (laughs) Debate settled. (laughs) Now for Marcus's nasty boy porn corner. (laughs) Okay, well... First, I should preference this by saying, like, from what I've learned about um, Mia Khalifa lately, she's had a rough time. Yeah, she wants the, to be a she wants to be a sports personality instead of a porn star now. Yes, yes, and um, from the interview I watched, which is on YouTube, if you are interested in Mia Khalifa and oh, so it's a video on the internet. I- Cool. I love the shout out to fucking YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, listen, man. This is this is hard hitting information, bro. So okay. All right. okay. I'm gonna Sorry. I'm gonna give my take and you know, if anyone else wants to see it or, you know, hear more about what Mia Khalifa's doing, it's not porn. So yeah. Okay, so take what happened that. in this interview? 
So basically, this interview was about Mia Khalifa and her journey from school life all the way into porn and to dealing with how porn has affected her life. Mm-hmm. Seems pretty bad so far. So to start things off, it was a, a journey from her school life because she was um, living in Lebanon and she was, she, oh goodness, how long was she there? But she had started her life in Lebanon mm-hmm. and traveled over to America, you know, better school, better work for whatever reason. But between her and her parents, they didn't know much English. So that already is a, a rough bump to living in America. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, as she was starting school in D.C., um, 9-11 happened. So this impacted her immensely. So um, because of how she looks, people you know I mean, people her weren't completely respectful to a Lebanese person after nine eleven. Yeah, basically. Wow. But you no, know, all of all of this is leading to um, how she didn't have much uh, positive attention mm-hmm. while she was younger, which is important as to getting her into porn later in life. That sounds terrible. But... <laughs> I just want to point out that at this point, that at some point in the story, this will come around to, to, to politics. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, between, between, you know, her being bullied as a child and um, not... Having the greatest body image because you know she didn't feel very good about herself between that and just uh, unhealthy eating lifestyle. But most of this just gets to when she got when she, after she lost weight in college and got her boobs done, she was living in Miami, and someone asked her to model for her, for for them. Turns out it was a porn studio. So she felt she could get, you know, validation and get paid all in the same token. And she went into it. She she thought about it for two weeks beforehand, but she did. So a big a big thing with uh, Mia Khalifa's experience in porn was shame. And I find that interesting because there are a lot of other porn stars, or at least that I know of, either don't have that problem or I haven't heard about it. All right, so like, like how would, you, would any of you be ashamed if you were in a porn video? I think it's, it's different for men than it is for women, though. Exactly. That's that was my thought. Yeah, that was my yeah, thought. That is, that is very true. So. Basically, um, now, she's spending a lot of her time trying to separate herself from porn. And, like, it's it's difficult to do because a lot of people are, like... Apparently, a lot of people, like, get really touchy with porn stars. Because, you know, oh, I've seen you naked, so it's it's all good. Which, that's very weird and uncomfortable. 
But also, like, she, she, it seems like she's having issues with shame and trusting people all because of porn. I'm just like, wow, that's, that, that really sucks to, to have, like, this, I guess, weird connection with somebody and it's strange and twisted when you actually meet somebody. But yeah, thoughts, comments, concerns so far. I mean, Marcus, the the lightning pace at which you got through that <laughs> really made it hard for me to f- form a full opinion. Yeah, this is going way too fast for me. I apologize. Slow it down. I mean, th- that's the least chewing up of a story. I've ever seen. You just spit it at us. I, I apologize. So, I, was, go, I, was, I was trying to hit key points and keep it flowing. So, so. so, so Mark, I, mean, I guess my point of reference here is I've I've watched the documentary Hot Girls Wanted on Netflix. Very interesting uh, look at porn. Um, Very good. But I mean, I don't know how the sausage gets made. To say that to, to, is how we should probably say it. Like. I really have not looked too deeply into that, and that's that's probably to my detriment. It's probably terrible, um, but I'm I'm interested, Marcus. Please continue. So yeah, Marcus, I want to know what do you think. So if we're going down this path, Thomas, what do you think is maybe the political or the socioeconomic um, frame for which Mia Khalifa is making not only her past decisions but her current decisions? Like, what do you think is going through her mind when it comes to living inside of, you know, she moved to America, she lives inside of a capitalist society. What do you think, how, maybe any, how some of that impacts her decisions now and then? Hmm. Well, I will say that a lot of people are judging her from face value. Cause one of the, one of the big things that, uh, people have, uh, called her, I can't even say called her out on cause she got fucking death threats. So there's a scene she does that got very popular where she's wearing a hijab and she's, you know, doing her thing. Mm-hmm. That one got really um, popular online. And from what she says, she got death threats from ISIS because of that. And they were going to fucking kill her. <laughs> and I was like, holy shit. Also, oh, she's God. Catholic. So, yeah. Yeah, they're probably not a big fan of that. Yeah, but oof. okay. So she moves to America, and I'm not sure how long after she moved that 9/11 happened. But you, you said she was very young, mm, and yeah. so from from the get go, you know, people aren't really on board with her because I mean, even you know, all kinds of people were scared after 9/11. And it, the people who were already super racist just got more activated, and it made it a hostile environment for her to live here. Um, and then she moves to Miami, where there are more immigrants than you'd think in Miami, because, you know, Miami's so close to Cuba, and a lot of Hispanics like to live in Miami, so maybe she feels a little bit, a little bit more comfortable in Miami, and while she's there, um, she decides, you know, a good way to make money is to go into the adult video industry um porn correct correct and as i don't know if this statistic is correct maybe you can 
finally prove it for me. But I've heard for a long time that she only actually did porn for like three or four months. But she made like 600 videos in three or four months. Wow, that doesn't sound possible. But I feel like she'd have to be in a little longer. You would be surprised. Some of these porn companies pump out content. Really? I mean... Porn stars, honestly, if you work for a couple of years, you can be in, like, a thousand videos. Like, there's some porn stars who actually have, like, IMDB pages for more prolific porn stars, and they legit have, like, 1,300 credits. They have more than, like, Christopher Lee on um, IMDB, if you're in, like, more, like, legitimized, like, mainstream porn stuff. Um, So I have always heard that she only did porn for three months and was in a bunch of videos, which is insane and i guess so now she is trying to she's trying to use any social capital she has from doing porn maybe she's not maybe she want maybe she's trying to make a legit because i know she's like she's into like boxing or something right she's um, like, like she she says sports so i don't know what's yeah i've yeah. seen her in like ufc videos before so i'm sure she does like fights and stuff and she's just she's trying to pave herself a new career path but People want her to stagnate. Is is that is that correct? That action certainly, you know, back that up. Yeah. <laughs> I have a quick question. Go ahead. How many how many women of Middle Eastern descent do porn? Like, is that a niche kind of? I mean, it has to be, right? Like, I mean, I don't know how many, but I do feel like it's a popular category. Yeah, I feel like it's it's pretty niche. There's probably, there's definitely some, like, there. Yeah, it's one of those markets that you probably kind of corner and then just, you know, make 600 videos in three months and get, you, get your money. <laughs> like, you you trying to beat her record or something, so? No, no, no. I, don't, I do not think that uh, my type is going to be any kind of fetish for, for any kind of porn viewer. Normal ass white boys. What got them here, baby? Oh. Hey, What's up? Got some interesting features, such as my. You want to see the most vanilla ass white man? Okay. Here he is. I've got a. I don't know if I'm the most vanilla white. I've got so I got like a pudgy exterior. Oh and, wait, he's soft. We added a beard to him, and I got a beard. A lot of the porn guys don't have beards, so <laughs> like you know that's Excuse the part. That's I don't think they want to take their like, work home with them. Okay, that's probably. What. <laughs> Okay, we can end the podcast. We have we've officially reached peak joke. Ah oh, yes. <laughs> god <Finally>. damn it. <laughs> it took me a second. Oh my god, he doesn't like to take his work home with him. Oh. But yeah. Okay, back to the point. My niche, probably not too high up on the charts. Your niche, Marcus, you might you might can corner some stuff. I'm just saying. I'm, hey, I'm not I'm not putting any labels on it, but you're like tall. You're tall. tall. You're thick with two C's. Tall, dark, thick, and handsome. Thick and handsome. That's a type. This has to be the most off-putting episode we've ever recorded. <laughs> Doesn't it? We started off with Marcus talking for 30 minutes about an interview <laughs> with me and Khalifa. And now we are just talking about what porn fetishes we fit into now look we all know i'd be amputee porn. i was about Whatever, to say let's move on smith has the most niche one of all which is amputee. easy joke uh, low hanging fruit 
Take that leg off for me, baby. Yeah. All right. That's... So what happens with what happens with Mia Khalifa next, Marcus? What's the what's the next step in the story? Um. Like next she's time, going she's going to try day. to make a name for herself outside of this. But but the thing the thing that brought to to, to my attention in particular was her 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 labor relationship while she was in the industry. Okay. Her what? The, her labor relationship, like between her and her employers. Ah, mm, so do well, you, do you know anything about this, Smith? Because the interview was talking more about how she's trying to separate it from her history, or or live with it and move past it. Well, Seth, you were talking about how many videos she made, and mm-hmm. she is very popular at the time. Uh, apparently, when this this whole thing started on Pornhub, she was like the number two or number three most searched person. Mm-hmm. Um. But in her entire time in porn, she only made twelve thousand dollars. Wow, that is not. And even she's not making any more today. Severely underpaid. That's not a, a, not even a year salary at a shitty job. And she spoke out recently because she wanted to make people aware that porn stars are not rolling in money. It's a very lucrative industry, but they are not making money. And essentially, what she was trying to say is there's a lot of wage theft. In, in porn. Um, the contracts these people sign when they start out are shitty and are aligned against them, and so they wind up basically getting bait robbed. Mm. Yeah, and the thing is, it's like, porn is a weird industry because not only do you have stuff like that where people can actually be shitty, but because of the nature of the industry, you have, you can find yourself around a lot of shady characters and find yourself in a lot of, you know, sexually compromising situations. And it's a hard thing. Like, can you guys, can you imagine actually being a porn star who makes, like, videos every day? Like, that is, no. I mean, not even, like, trying to make a joke here. That is, like, physical labor. Every, like, having a lot of sex is not easy. <laughs> like, <laughs> Oh, yeah, like, tell us about yeah, your experience. Like, once it's your job... Like, sex is a very physical act, and you're doing it every day, a lot of time. And, like, some of these some of these dudes, they gotta stay hard for, like, four to six hours. Christ, that's, like, that's like, beyond the recommended limit. Exactly. I mean, that's gotta have some long-term effect on your body and your, like, your, like, your libido and stuff. So, yeah, I do, I mean, obviously porn is an industry where people get treated really badly. I mean, if, if you watch Hot Girls Wanted, the, the, the series... On Netflix, there's a movie and there's a six episode series where they explore other stuff. You kind of learn how a lot of people get the short shrift in um, the porn industry, and yeah, I mean it, it's one of those ways. I mean it's it's a very very popular form of entertainment. It's one of those entertainments that people don't talk about, but a lot of people watch porn. And as far as an industry that has, you know, whales, like people who spend, who will put a lot of money into it, porn is one of the biggest ones. Like you get to people who like get into like cam girl stuff and like videos, camming, private stuff. You get into people who are spending a large portion of their income on porn. Porn is an industry that makes big decisions in Hollywood. Porn is the reason that Blu-ray beat HD DVD back in the day. The porn industry was like, oh, we're going to use Blu-ray. So everyone else followed in suit. So isn't so, porn also the reason why our our, our phones are eighty percent screen now <laughs> or ninety five percent screen? Wow, that's actually 
That's a good observation. <laughs> what do we need all that screen for? I mean, I guess movie, regular movies also kind of demand screen and games. But, and it's also, it was also the reason that um, uh, VHS beat Betamax back in the day. Porn is like, we're going to use VHS. Now we live in a world where we're all watching VHSs all the time. And, and yeah, it's an industry that has a lot of power, makes a lot of decisions. And still people who are part of it and, you know, the, the, the actors, the players inside of this, this industry don't get the compensation they deserve. And it's because it's because it's really hard to regulate because while it is very popular and it is actually very popular among members of the government because they won't make like the government will almost never touch laws on porn ever because they're they don't want it to stop because all those old white dudes in congress are watching it all the time so they it's harder for uh adults entertainers to unionize it's harder for them to you know collectively bargain for better wages it's very hard for them to even talk to like a better business bureau or somebody to like explain that they've been um, robbed because a lot of people don't want to touch that industry. So it is actually a pretty easy way for people to get really, no pun intended, I promise, screwed out of their wages. Yep, that's what I've always heard. It's, it's a predatory business. It chews people up, spits them out. It's a very time-limited kind of thing. Like, unless you're like, you know, Ron Jeremy or something, you're not making a career out of this. Not for too long, anyways. Man, what's Ron right. Jeremy up to these days? Looking like he's about to die at any moment. I mean, he looked like he was about to die ten years ago. Right? Maybe he's contracted so many diseases that he's just like oh invincible now. Guys, what if Ron Jeremy dies before we post this episode? No. <laughs> oh, God! Guys, we're gonna feel bad. Don't curse us like Ron that. Jeremy, you're ama- Ron Jeremy is one of those guys. If you look at his IMDb, he has like 1,200 credits or something. Like, no doubt. He's one of those guys. And it's just crazy to me. But, so yeah. The thing about it is, um, like, like you said, so porn is one of those things that they don't want to touch the government. And it's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, it's an interesting, like, gray area of entertainment where... Um, like morally speaking, there are some people who have big objections to it, and then there are people like us who have labor concerns with how are the workers treated and how are they compensated for their their labor because it is definitely like you said, labor is not fun. Um, so yeah, it's a tricky situation. It's it's, it's definitely going to be something to keep an eye on, in my opinion, in the future because uh, it's, it has the most potential for uh, for radicalization for entertainment uh, for for. Some people in, in any ways. Yeah, and it's one of those things where, like, like I just talked about, you know, porn makes a lot of decisions for the entertainment industry. So, I mean, if unions start, you know, breaking out and people start making, like, making actual forward momentum for the better treatment of workers, maybe that could proliferate through the rest of the culture. You know, I mean, it might be a good place to start. Let me just spitball here for a second, folks. Okay. Let's let's indulge in a little bit of speculation. Okay. Coming on this journey. After the revolution, uh, once we have achieved glorious victory, we have thrown, we've torn down the capitalists, and we've executed all of them, and uh, we have our, our workers' uh, state that we're in the process of building, will we still have porn? Yes. Yes. Now, Interesting. I don't think porn is going away. 
Yeah. Reason, reasonings for, for why you think that. I mean, will movies go away? I mean, of course not. So why would porn go away? People watch, well, there's... people watch a lot of porn? People watch a lot of movies? Why would they get rid of porn? Look, I'm, I'm pro-sex worker. I am diff- especially under capitalism, we have to be, because they, they need to earn a wage. But uh, once we have abolished the need for, uh, for work, essentially, I mean, people have to work, do, do, do labor, right? To what we call socially necessary labor. Yeah. To, to produce commodities that people need and services. Is porn one of those commodities that will be socially necessary? I don't know if I'd say it's going to be socially necessary by the standard definition, but I do think that, I mean, we need to talk about how people, you know, some people do it for the money, some people do it and they get screwed out of money, but there are, I mean, there are legitimately porn stars out there who like doing what they do, and there's not a lot of other ways for them to do the specific thing they like to do, so why would they stop making porn? Mark, what's your thoughts? Um, Similarly, it's it's definitely not a necessity, but it's definitely a thing people are going to want. As long as we're still having sex to make more people, there's still going to be that market. I I ask because it's a a, a, a very uh, rich uh, subject for debate among uh, communists and socialists and anarchists alike. Of whether or not we will still have a porn industry after we've uh, achieved victory, um, there are different viewpoints uh, on the subject. I think that the the landscape of porn would change drastically. Um, I think one there would be less of it, um, but I do think there would still be because, like you're talking about, how we still have movies because there's people who love acting and love directing. We're still gonna have porn because people who still like to be porn actors and porn directors. There's there are people out there who legitimately like it, and since and now that they won't be getting like screwed out of their money anymore, and they won't be, you know, burdened by the capitalists, they can make it freely. And yeah, I think there will be less of it, but I think there will still be people who want to make it, and you know, we can't tell them not to. So yeah, I mean, I just I I, I think so too. I'm sure it'll still be around, but it'll be much more worker friendly because the workers will own it. And yeah. Decide their own uh, conditions, which I would probably think would be much better than what we have now. Oh yeah, <coughs> yeah. But we're gonna have. Hey, that, that's our new. That's our new slogan: socialism. We're gonna have better porn. <laughs> <laughs> Boys, you think you like porn now? Just wait until the revolution happens. <laughs> mm. I'm trying to think. Actually, I I can't. I'm sure that the, that porn existed. In the Soviet Union, I'm sure it did, but it's not—it's not a very. Oh, that's that's my my research subject this coming week. I'm gonna find out about porn in the Soviet Union. I'm sure it, it had to have existed. Well, yeah. You're gonna be getting on your VPN and finding some back channel <laughs> Soviet torrent sites to get all these with weird porn you're gonna watch. I'm gonna straight up. I'm just. I'm gonna go straight up. No VPN. Just Google Soviet porn <laughs> as soon as we're done here. Oh, yes. Get put on some kind of fucking watch list. <laughs> Welcome to our porn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, oh, in so <laughs> in socialist porn, we all come together. <laughs> oh God! Come on! <laughs> I, I change my mind. This is the best episode we've ever done. Oh, we we have revolutionized oh. socialism in one episode. This should have been the 69th episode. Yeah, it really should. <laughs> I'm gonna go back and reorder them now. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> 
This will re- I'm gonna upload them differently. This will be sixty nine point five. This will be that episode. Well, I did want to speak to you guys real quick about uh, another little labor issue um, that mm-hmm. I saw happen this past week. Have y'all ever heard of uh, barstool sports? Yes, and I'm no. glad you are bringing this up. Seth, what do you know about Barstool Sports? Well, actually, you know what? If you want to take it away, you can take it away. I'll take it away. So Barstool Sports is a website um, slash, you know, they have like an Instagram and a Twitter and like they have some podcasts. Um, You know, it's a website about sports. It's, uh, you know, pretty standard sports slash like comedy, you know, like fun takes. Basically, though, it's a bunch of bros who do bro-y things about sports. And they've been controversial in the past. They've had a lot of stuff where, like, female employees were, like, this is a very toxic work environment. They've had, like, like female actresses who've done, like, videos for them, like, 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 like court, short comedy skits, who have said that it's a bad place for women to be. And so they've had that looming over them for a while, but it was almost expected of them, and for some reason people don't care. They're like, oh, they're a bro sports place. Of course they're going to be shitty to women, as if that's an excuse. But... Um, as of this last week, the the owner or CEO, whatever he is, his name is, is it Dave or Mike Portnoy? Dave Portnoy. Dave Portnoy. I think Mike Portnoy is like a member of Metallica or something. I don't know. Dave Portnoy is the CEO of Barstool Sports, and he's a very controversial figure. During all this stuff, he's been, a lot of allegations have come about him. He's had to do like this very strange apology video in the past where he just looked inhuman. It was really weird. And... He has come out full anti-union because Barstool Sports employees have been interested in unionizing. So other publications that have unionized have contacted them and said, hey, if you want to know how to get the process going, you can contact us. And this was all done publicly on Twitter. And so then Portnoy decides to go on a Twitter tirade and is like, if, if I see any Barstool Sports employee talk to any of these union, unionizers, you are fired immediately. Uh, I'll, I will fire you on site. And I, I wish I had a bunch of some of his other tweets pulled up. Okay, I have some of them right now. So, uh, a guy named Rafi Letster, I guess would be his name. Um, he was the one who said, if you work for Barstool Sports and you want to have a private conversation about unionizing, hit me up. Dave Portnoy replied to this tweet and said, if you work for Barstool Sports and DM this man, I will fire you on the spot. Um... Hmm. And then, just in, in the, the smallest dick move I've ever seen in my life, like, this is small dick energy right now, uh, a guy named Conrad Bigfoot said, great name, said, I hope they unionize. And then Dave Portnoy, Portnoy replies with his one and I, his half-inch penis and says, me too, just so I can crush it and reassert my dominance. Oh, oh, wow. Um, I also really like his... Uh, tweet I have here from him where he says uh, someone basically responded with uh, to someone else who was responding to Dave uh, saying you're an idiot uh, because unions created the weekend uh, which is true unions yep. did get us the weekend uh, Dave responded with I didn't take a vacation day for 10 years that earned me the right to decide when my property slash employees get their weekends Whoa. yes so he is basically saying that he owns these people which is very akin to a slavery, a, a practice called slavery, which is a weird thing to put out there on the internet for everybody to read and comment on. Mm. And then in another, yeah, definitely. in another step of his tirade, uh, a guy named We've Got Dreams and Songs to Sing, who's apparently a lawyer, 
says I'm a lawyer. If any Barstool employees are looking to unionize and run into problems, I'd be happy to help out in any way, pro bono. To which Dave Portnoy responds, anybody who hires this lawyer will be fired immediately, and I will personally sue you for damages and back wages. Um, I don't think this man knows how back wages work, because (laughs) if you fire somebody because they talk to somebody, you don't get to sue them for back wages. Um... But yeah, so this is, uh, Dave Portnoy is obviously a feather-thin, insecure man who has just a, a gossamer of his psych, of his mentality left about being a human. And it's, it is, it's just one of those funny things to see. It's one of those things where this guy is kicking and screaming because he sees that a change is about to come. And it's the only way he thinks he knows how to stop it because he doesn't know how to change. Yeah, he. There's some people on the internet who claim that he was joking that this was all just him like trying to troll people and all that. Oh, this is not. Funny yeah, but it was a joke. It's not a legal defense. Yeah, because did you see what happened after this, Seth? No. Your boy is getting investigated by the National Labor Relations Board. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. Interesting. Because he was referred, the, the AFL CIO of New York like tweeted to the NLRB, like, "Look at this shit right here." And so now they are looking into his anti-union comments because it is in fact illegal to threaten legal action against employees or or uh, firing against employees who, who want to unionize. That is in America, that is still illegal. Yes, nice. and I'm glad that this justice will might be brought to Barstool Esports, Esports, Barstool Sports, but. It's also kind of hypocritical because companies like Amazon and Walmart also have distinct anti-union um, propaganda go around on their orientations, mm-hmm. and yeah. no legal action gets taken against them. No, but that's the thing is, most of those companies do not have their 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 CEO owner actively go on Twitter and threaten people personally with, with firing. Which is, that's the insane kind of shit you have to do to actually get investigated. Like, it takes that much. Yeah, so good job, Dave Fortnoy. The the new labor leader by accident. <laughs> yeah, he even, like, AOC even, like, got involved and he just, like, he was reveling in the fact that uh, Donald Trump Jr. Uh, retweeted him on his side or whatever. Wow, that's a bad get. Yeah, you definitely you know you're on the right side when Dave. Oh, sorry, when Donald Trump Jr. is is uh, congratulating you for, I guess you're trolling. I don't know, uh, but it seems to be like a guy who started off serious and then retreated into the trolling defense. Like I was just trolling. I was just making a joke. What are you talking about? I've seen it so many times online. Yeah, that's a that's a real bad bad look, bad get, bad everything for uh, Barstool Sports. Uh, but yeah, I hope that uh, this guy gets fucking destroyed and maybe barstool can become better for it yeah new management hire us um, we'll, we'll run barstool sports hell yeah do it seth you know you know about sports you like yeah. uh, you like a uh, basketball right yeah. you can do this yeah and i know about bar stools and alcohol you do <laughs> you're a barstool export expert Yes. I can't talk today. I've said so many words wrong in the past five minutes. It's insane. Apparently, I can't talk either today. Now, Marcus, you you you're you've talked. You're very good at talking today. Oh, thanks. thanks. Um, um, so I want to talk about something real quick as well. Please do. Um, so, New York Times 
uh, has started this this thing they're calling the uh, I think it's called the sixteen nineteen project, and it's sort of an exploration of American history since you know before America was even a country. Should be hey um, hey hey, it should be called the sixty nine project. Yeah, well, it's a project <laughs> nice. tracing the history of slavery in America. So, want to make that joke? You want to walk anything back here? Um, I think Marcus said that one. I think that was a Marcus joke. <laughs> and Marcus can't give Marcus a rest. He said the best joke of the podcast, so we got to give him a best rest. Best joke ever, actually. <laughs> um, but yeah, the sixteen basically, yeah, sixteen nineteen is a project that NYT is doing to uh, basically have uh, mostly you know uh, writers of color, black writers in particular, uh, talk about the history of racism in America. And it's like basically trying to tell you that no, there was never a mythical time and America wasn't racist, including now. It's always been shitty and racist here if you're not white, and that's just how it is. Yeah. And this has, of course, prompted some, uh, prompted some incredible takes from across the, the, the internet landscape. Um, but I want to read you a series of tweets by a man who, I'm not kidding you, his name is Eric Erickson. Wow. Um, He's a conservative writer. Uh, you know he is a piece of shit because he has a Bible quote in his uh, Twitter bio. Um, uh, Bible quote is like akin to a Pepe these days. He really is. So this is this is a series of three tweets, and I want you before I start this, I want you to know that he is saying this ironically. He is being sarcastic. Okay. So before you get too excited about Comrade Erickson, just just know this is sarcastic. Okay. Okay. Here we go. If the land in which the United States was founded has been tainted by racism since the 1600s, and everything derived therefrom is therefore tainted, then the U.S. is illegitimate, the Constitution is illegitimate, and revolution is the answer. That's the path down which the NY Times heads, and it will make the President's remarks about the New York Times being the enemy of the people sound prescient to a lot of people. Once you declare the United States a racist enterprise, you light a fire that will eventually consume you too. I mean, I gotta say, he started off strong. Yeah, he start, I was on board the entire time until until about you know a, a third of the way in. Um, yeah. So there is this weird. I mean, I guess it's not weird. We all know why they do it, but there is this sentiment that racism in America is dead, and also, and that the one thing is not only is racism dead, but also it never really existed, and. People like to people really like to to push this because they don't want to admit that America was ever wrong. They say yeah. that you know, hey, you guys, it was it, look where we are now. Like it's all worth it in the end. And people are like, you know, it was never really that bad. That's that's a, a defense I love seeing, and I think that people like this obviously um, don't get the point. They don't understand that racism is alive and well there's still plenty of you know uh, signs that our our society is not past racism uh, a big one being the, the our damn president and the, the the image we put forth forth into the world and yeah pe- people like this it's it's the type of people who are going to be very hard to get on board and they're going to have to learn the hard way. Yep, it's just like... And there's even a, a, t- a take here from a guy named Connor Friesdorf. Uh, more like Friesdork. Yeah, who, more like Friesdick. 
<laughs> who writes for the NY for for, for, for the Atlantic. Uh, this is not about the articles, but it is about uh, something that um, I'll give him credit here, guys. I, I'm gonna give this I'm gonna give this boy credit. Beto O'Rourke said something good recently. Whoa, my favorite Hispanic man. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Robert O'Rourke, my favorite Hispanic. Um, he said our country is founded on racism and it is still racist today. Okay, that's pretty, for, for us, that's pretty Whoa, no hot time, right? But for a, a mainstream Democrat to say that, that's that's pretty interesting. That's, yeah. that's, that's hard. So I'll give him credit for that. Uh, but Connor Friesdorf's response to this is, is stunning to me. It says, what does our country is founded on racism mean? That is, what more specific, less vague, and open interpretation fact claim is it making? I'm not quite sure. <laughs> and I'm just like... <gasps> I'm just like, motherfucker, like, can you read? Does this fucker not... Does he not know what the goddamn three-fifths compromise? I, I think what he actually means is, why should I care? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, does, does he not know? Does, does he think the Native Americans just willingly left and just moved out of our way? Which is how some textbooks are putting it now. True. Yeah. Some textbooks are just like they saw all these white people and were like, "Man, they deserve this place." Yeah. Let them have it. There's only like ten of us here, anyways. Yeah. That was the myth I was taught, and they were like, "Oh, there's only like a couple thousand Native Americans in the first place. They weren't using all this land." Wow, really? I got. I guess I got an accurate book because I heard about all the terrible shit. Yeah, you gotta you gotta read them, and it's um, it's also the the worst part about it is that Native Americans were their whole motto was to share land among everyone, so they were not against us sharing their land. They just yeah. but then we were like, oh, this is our land now. Yeah, they're like, oh, we we have to instill ownership in everyone. This we own this land. Yeah. And most of the books don't even tell you that there that there there was a thriving you know millions and millions person strong culture of Native Americans that we mostly didn't see because the disease kind of got there before us kind of like preceded our our, our arrival um, to those locations but they had a re- an actual civilization that was that spanned this entire goddamn continent yeah they weren't like the savages that movies and stuff portray them to be they were just people who were just trying to get along just like everybody else and then america came in or i guess britain at the time came in and fucked their shit up but i want to go back to comrade erickson here yes please um when he talks about how um the u.s is illegitimate the constitution illegitimate not revolution is the answer and yeah sure racism is a big part of this um the country founded on racism it was founded on anti-democratic Beliefs. They wanted a republic for only landed white men to vote. And every single time we have extended the franchise to more and more people, that has broken our system more and more. Um, to get to the point today where our system 100% does not work. It just lurches along, uh, pretending like it's still workable, but it's, it's fucking not. Yeah. And he's being sarcastic and thinks he's being clever here, but... It's it, like revolution is the answer, and I'm not even saying that from like the perspective of a communist or whatever. I'm just saying that like throughout history, systems fail and they have to be replaced, and that's going to take the form of a violent struggle. They don't just go away. Someone has to, to, to you know defeat them, but that's the way of things. Like systems do not last forever so far, and they never will. Like there will always be something coming to replace. What's there now when it start when it fails? 
And I think we are definitely reaching a point where we can acknowledge that this experiment has failed. Yeah, I mean, America started with a revolution. Before the revolution, there wasn't even an America. So, yeah. the, the thing is, for some reason, we all are just supposed to be like, oh yeah, we had a revolution, and then in the 1700s, we figured it all out, and we, we figured out how to run society perfectly for everyone, and we don't, we don't have to change a thing. And... We're supposed to not just be able to tear this shit apart and start over because that's what you have to do. I mean, you can't, you can amend the Constitution so many times, but the Constitution needs to be fucking rewritten. We need to have a new Bill of Rights. We have a new, we need to have a new system, a new way for people to, you know, fucking live their lives and not feel feel the struggle. We always talk about the struggle. It's like, oh man, dealing with the struggle. We shouldn't have to struggle. That's not something we should have to do. We have it created the struggle and we all play along with it. Yeah. And I have a great take here I'm sure y'all will love from a man named uh, Ilya Shapiro. It's hard to... I don't know the first name, but Shapiro's last name. Of course. Uh, maybe Ben Shapiro's related to him. I don't know. Uh, which says here, this is, this is a take on the... Uh, on the 1619 project, he says, uh, writing about history is great, but a project intended to delegitimize mankind's grandest experiment in human liberty and self-governance is divisive. Yes, I know it's unwoke of me to say so, but so be it. I'll take reality warts and all over grievance mongering. Wow. Wow. What the fuck? So this is just kind of like, uh... Uh, stay the course, put up with your shit, nobody cares kind of a take. I just thought that he thinks that America is mankind's grandest experiment in human liberty. Yeah, which, <laughs> I mean, we don't even have to get into how fucking ridiculous that is. I mean, wh what? <laughs> I don't want to say it again. A country founded on literal fucking slavery, a country built by slaves, and you think this is an experiment in human liberty. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> It's just crazy the amount of uh, the amount of stuff that not only in America but in a lot of places were built entirely by slave labor, and we're supposed to just uh, we're just supposed to because somebody told us that we live in the land of the free and the home of the fucking brave. We're supposed to just believe those words for the rest of our lives with unwavering confidence. Yes, it's just crazy. I mean, you said every day in school and say that fucking pledge. We did. I stopped. Which is I, fucked up. I stopped my senior year of high school. I didn't. Yeah, I, didn't, I don't blame you for that. I didn't say it my senior year, and I felt no different. I felt better. I felt stronger, more virile. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, I. That's one of the. That is actually like we were talking about the other day at, at, at my at work. That's like one of the most brainwashy things there is. Is that damn pledge of allegiance we have to learn. Yeah, it's it's extremely extremely when you think about it, it's pretty fucked up because when you start playing as a kid, you don't know what you're saying. You don't you don't know the context behind it, and you don't know the history of the thing that you're pledging allegiance to. Yeah, and 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 school is just a series of lies that they slowly tell you a little bit more truth each time as you get older. And but but even then, when you finish American like public education, you do not come out of there with a with a actual understanding of how American history has gone down. 
Yeah, I mean, you talk about um, you start. We start learning about the Civil War and that World War Two when we're in like fourth or fifth grade, and you don't learn shit. You learn, oh yeah, these bad things happened, and then America came in and we made it all better. We're the good guys, and in the Civil War. The Civil War, especially where we came from, the Civil War is almost framed as two equally moral parties who just, one happened to win. Yeah, that's a good question. Me and you both came from, from a rural school. Marcus, you went to school in more of an urban area, right? Or a yeah. suburban, at least? Yeah, suburban. Where'd you go to school at? Was it in Georgia or was it up north? It was in Georgia. So what did your education say about the Civil War? I'm, I'm curious. Oh, it's been a minute. Um, it said that, you know, um, what was it? States' rights? Oh, of course. Yeah, oh. that, that kind of, oh, well, the that rights kind of things. Come on! <laughs> the states' rights. There you go. Okay. Yeah, the states' rights to own people as property. Isn't it great that... Whoever came up with that little, oh, the Civil War is actually a state size issue, they must make, like, a couple of million dollars a year from textbook companies. They must slide that guy, like, a couple of bills every month. Just <laughs> They're probably living in hell and, like, as a ruling a section of it at this point. Yeah, they're ruling, they have, their their the state they're part of has no rights. Um, they get their tithe in fucking human souls and misery. Exactly, because that's something that I heard a lot. It was like, people were like, guys... The Civil War wasn't about slavery or who was right or wrong. It was just some states wanting to have rights. What are you talking about? The, the, <laughs> the right they wanted, of course, was to continue slavery. But it wasn't, guys. It wasn't a slavery issue. Come on, we're, America. We're not. We're not savages. Yeah, yeah, we are. Yeah, no. It's always about states' rights and the, the. Oh man, the war of northern aggression. The war of northern aggression. Wow, is that? <laughs> That's what they call it. <laughs> Those northerners were so aggressive. Holy shit. But if you actually study it, the South shot first at Fort fucking Sumter. Yes. That's South Carolina. That's their big, like, state motto is we were the first to rebel. Yes. They're proud of it. And it's just, it's so fucking stupid. And one thing I do hate seeing, by the way, to get off on a little bit of a tangent here, I, I, just to, to, to bring this back around, I keep seeing liberals who say, oh, if the South were to, like, secede again today, let them go. Like, fuck the South. Like, uh, it's all terrible and garbage and bullshit. And I just want to tell these people to please, please, if you think that, if you're listening to this podcast for some reason, and you think the South is irredeemable garbage and we should all die, please, for the love of God, Pull up a demographics map of America and look at where most people of color in this country fucking live. It's yeah. not the Northeast. It's not out West. It's not the. It's definitely not the fucking Pacific Northwest or the Midwest. It's here in the fucking Southeast. The Southeast. It's where Whoa. most people of color live. Is right here. Georgia. <laughs> yeah, and you know, by having that that take that we should just let the South go is um. You know, it's like saying, it's almost like saying you want to live in a a white nation, you know? Uh, exactly. An Aryan nation. And it's, I don't know, it's like, it's a very, it's a anti-progressive um, take to have. And they're like, oh yeah, just nuke the South or just drop fentanyl bombs on it or whatever and kill everybody. And again, I'm just like, 
And this is why I hate liberals, because they don't fucking think about this kind of shit. They don't understand the, the real realities that people face anywhere. Ugh, yeah. Sorry. Liberals are fucking idiots. Um, but yeah, they... Obviously, for some reason, slavery is an issue that people just don't want to address anymore. They're like, guys, it's, it was over 400 years ago. Who cares? Nobody cares. It's over. Why are we still talking about it? Because it is, uh, it is. I gotta say, it is heartening to see that several of the the current Democratic candidates have at least even said the word reparations. Yes. Mm-hmm. Which hey, There's, go for it. There's debate over what form reparations should take. Um, I think that uh, Marianne Williamson has proposed a an actual like cash payout. Um, while Bernie Sanders has proposed more of a structural sort of like change, like devoting money to specifically helping black people um, like rise up out of poverty by changing the structures of the society around them. Because there is a good point to be made that I think that people are forgetting is if you just start handing people money, who owns most of the companies? Who owns the apartment complexes? Who owns the grocery stores and the gas stations? And the uh, who owns Amazon? You know, like, it, that money will get handed out and then swiftly recaptured by white people again. Yeah. I mean... And the capitalists, to be, to be specific. And it makes sense that it's Bernie Sanders' plan to kind of do it that way because the best way for us to fight poverty is to get rid of poverty. There shouldn't be poor people. There shouldn't be rich people. We should, you know, every, everyone needs to be on an equal playing ground. And, you know, that's kind of what we're trying to work towards. You know? It's like, I know, Seth, you saw Trigger Warning, right? Killer Mike show? Yes. Marcus, did you ever see that? I have not seen that. On Netflix? Is it the second episode or the first episode where he tries to only buy from black-owned businesses? Yeah, I can't remember if it's first. I think it's the first and episode. It's super hard, it turns out. Yes, it's super hard. Um, even even living in Atlanta, he found it very hard to buy from black businesses. The part in the barbecue uh, place where the they find he finds out the barbecue was was comes from like a farm owned by white people. Yep. And then LP just eats it right in front of him. That was rough. (laughs) However, the the best part about that whole episode is to find out that there is a a black owned cell phone company that makes like iPhone ripoffs. And it's literally yes. called like Blapple or something. <laughs> like it's literally oh called. It, I can't remember the name was, but it was something like that where it was just like Black Apple or something. That rules. And it was uh, great. That's so fucking good. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it was crazy that you know even in a place like Atlanta, it was hard for him to go a whole a whole week with nothing but black owned businesses. And yeah, something we something we got to work on because. Yeah, it, it's it's just we no matter what, no matter how how far you go, we we're still living in a white owned society, and we need to we need to even that up. Everybody needs to have a piece. Um, speaking of the intersection between race and capitalism, yes, uh, y'all know about uh, Kamala Harris. What about her this time, Marcus? What do you know about Kamala Harris? Uh oh. Uh, not much. She isn't part of the Manson family, just so you know, Marcus. So okay. Oof, good on this one. Okay. 
I love how Marcus is on our politics podcast and does not know about like the number five polling person in the, in the hey, race. I dig it. Hey, Amen. I, I wish I could be as free as Marcus is. I know. I mean, I, I try. I try to live free and die hard. Uh, well, Kamala is a woman running for president. She is black. Um, or half. I'm not sure. Uh, but yeah, she positions herself as being like the, the black woman in the race or whatever. Uh, her president, and she's a cop. She worked for years with the the cops in Los Angeles and California to uh, literally arrest the mothers of children and go to go to school to con- like to get their kids to go to school. Yeah. That was her plan. So they arrested their parents. A great way to yes. get kids to go to school is take them out, of, take uh, their parents away from them. Yeah. So she's shitty. She had a fundraiser recently um, in the Hamptons. And I'm going to give you all the bullet point here real quick. Teslas and Maseratis lined the street as Kamala Harris greeted guests sipping drinks from plastic cups with her name on them at a fundraiser in the Hamptons. Quote, I believe in capitalism, she said. You want to hear a fun fact? Mm. I don't know where the Hamptons are. I have Marcus, like you know where they're at. I feel like I should. I've definitely been there. <laughs> I don't think you've been to the Hamptons. Have you, Marcus? I think I have. They're islands. I can't remember. <laughs> I don't think you was an island guy. <laughs> I mean, I would like to go to an island. Islands are great. Uh, oh, don't worry. We're, we're, we're definitely going to go there. <laughs> we'll probably go there with gun in hand, but we'll be there. <laughs> but yeah, I have no idea where the Hamptons. I hear about it all the time. I don't know where it is. Um, oh, it is okay. So the Hamptons are actually all in Long Island. Okay, I figured they were in like New York area. Good to know. Anyways, um, but yeah, she wanted to say that she believes in capitalism, but capitalism isn't working for everyone. Wait, no shit. Yeah, <laughs> clearly. And guess what? It's not meant to. It's it, just like how do you come to the conclusion that oh, I believe this system that doesn't work for everyone? How do you reconcile those two fucking thoughts? She doesn't. She doesn't care. I just want to point out, too, that Kamala Harris's dad rules. He's a Marxist professor, and he is, like, basically mad that she is who she is. Wow. <laughs> also, you... Like, he does not like that she's a cop. You mentioned that she was drinking out of a plastic cup, which you shouldn't do because it's bad for the environment. You shouldn't drink out of plastic cups, which is what... I had this thought today, and I don't know why it's not already a thing. I think that within the next year... Hopefully, we should try to eliminate all, not eliminate them in spirit, but we should get rich rid people. of all printed like newspapers, magazines, mailers, and like bills. Because, I mean, that would just cut down so much on our, our waste as a society. There is very, and there's very few reasons to still have physical newspapers and magazines. People use them on their computers on their phones and it just seems like we are wasting a lot of resources on this so Hmm. that's my thing i know i think that in 2020 the new york times is going all digital i'm pretty sure that's a thing and they're one of the biggest papers in the world so maybe more people will follow suit because it it's crazy how much we fucking waste on this stuff yeah i mean i agree we need to uh, focus on recycling but don't forget we cannot forget that just 100 companies are responsible for 71% oh, I know. of the emissions. Yeah. 
but I, so but, you know, capitalism. I should just start throwing away, throwing my aluminum cans into the recycling, and that'll fix the ozone layer, not what these well, companies I mean, are doing. Recycling certainly can't hurt. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm saying, yeah, but the thing is, these companies push ads on us, we're like, oh, you should recycle, but these companies oh, yeah, yeah, are yeah. also making all of the waste. Oh, let's ban plastic straws, that'll really make a big difference. I mean, we should ban plastic straws, but... Well, there are some people who are disabled who need them for various reasons, but this is not the point. Well, I mean, we can get, I'm talking about get reusable straws for people. True. We could also just make less plastic straws. That's and true. Reserve people who actually need them, but again, it's just, but again, it's that kind of bullshit. Like, like thinking that, oh, if you dr- don't drink from a plastic straw, that's going to make a big difference. Exactly. Like, you individually change. Like, not society, just you. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's, it's a bunch of stupid propaganda bullshit. These companies don't actually want to stop doing what they're doing because it makes them a lot of money and it's a whole lot cheaper just to create waste than to actually try and deal with it. And that's the sad fact of it all. Marcus, what are your thoughts on recycling? Um, yes, yeah, so we should definitely do it more often. Um, more recyclable goods. Like, holy crap. Like, have you seen that, uh, that company that makes um, disposable utensils? Like, the the forks and spoons are made of, like, this rice paste. Oh, yes. This and is, you can basically just eat it when you're done. This is highlighted on the first episode of the television show Veep. Um, and, yeah, that's actually a great idea. We should just make stuff that fucking, you know, you, you, you eat your food, then you have a little dessert. You yeah. eat your little spoon. Yeah, I want an edible car. Drive to work. Wait a minute, Marcus. I don't. I, I mean, like you eat little pieces of it for the the, the yeah. years that you drive it. You just eat little pieces. Yeah, yeah. No, no. It's it's a whole new car every day, and he eats it on my last breakfast. Yeah, that so sounds sustainable. I mean, it does. Like, if you all right, let's say you eat like two of your wheels. You know, you've got a motorcycle now. That's beautiful, man. Like Batman. Yeah. When the Batmobile gave birth to the fucking Bat Cycle. Marcus, how about about we just improve public transportation? All right, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then together we all eat the bus. And then, no, how about Ori? They give you free snacks on the bus. Boom. (laughs) By the way, we're over here fucking bullshitting, but I saw a legit post from some kind of insane, like, Silicon Valley tech motherfucker who was like, we need to really, dude, dude was so high on coke when he wrote this. He was literally just like, we need to fucking explore the potential of, uh, of biotech. Imagine if your, if your, if your car was alive and you, uh, you fed a nutrient paste and when you wanted a new car, you just, uh, you, you, you impregnated your car and it gave birth to a new car and then you, you fed the old one to your house. And he's like, that's a legit <laughs> thought that someone had. Dude, that sounds like the, the best episode of Eureka ever. Um, <laughs> for the five people who've watched Eureka ever. Um, hey, I've watched Eureka. I did amazing. once watch a guy who was very adamant about having sex with his car outside of a Waffle House. Wait. Wait. Yeah. Oh, we need more context. Um, I was in. Uh, I would. Have, I, I would have say where I was. Uh, Smith, you know where this is. I was in Reedsville, Georgia. Uh-huh. Very, yeah. very small town. And yeah, I was at a Waffle House at like two in the morning, and there was this bunch of drunk dudes, and one of them owned a Mustang. He opened the gas tank. He did not pull down his pants all the way, but he pulled his pants down a little and was like, "I want." To. He he was yelling while straddling his car, saying, "I want to fuck this car." I'm not paraphrasing there. <laughs> and we just sat there and watched this guy almost have sex with his car. Almost disappointing. I mean, that's the guy who knows what he wants. He knows what he wants, and he, he, he did want to have sex with his car. 
gets it. <laughs> so yeah, maybe this Silicon Valley guy isn't too far off from the the needs and wants of American people. Um, I know we're wrapping up here, but I got to give us one more thing, and of course, it has to do with uh, rest in peace, one of uh, God's soldiers gone away, Jeffrey Epstein. Um, I thought you were gonna say you say Ron Jeremy died. <laughs> <laughs> what if I googled it and he died like a year ago and we just never didn't know? Um, no, but no, Jeffrey Epstein. So did y'all hear they came to a determination on how, on how he quote killed himself? No. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, so you, you saw you saw it, Marcus. You know how you you saw, you saw the method. It's, is this is this the one where he? He like tied the um, the sheets of his bed to his neck and just knelt with extreme force. Yes, he knelt. <laughs> he knelt hard enough to crack several bones in his fucking neck. <sighs> wow. They're like oh, he God. power knelt. Yeah, he practiced power <laughs> kneeling his whole life for this one moment. A master of the craft, my friends. But it's like. We knew the hyoid bone had been fractured, which happens extremely rarely in cases of suicide by hanging. But he also had fractures in his, like, the left and right vertebra of his neck. And that is incredibly strange. Imagine the amount of force it would take for you to kneel to break bones in your own goddamn neck. Yeah, I'm starting to think some legit, like, John Wick type just went in there and just (laughs) hit ten pressure points in his neck and walked away while his fucking collarbone exploded. And don't forget the two guards who fell asleep. Yeah. Oh, wow. Man, if I fall asleep at work, I fucking, I fucking get fired. Yeah, they they the fell hell? asleep because they looked at all the zeros that were getting added to their bank accounts. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, me and my buddy Jim here just going to go catch a couple of Zs. We should be watching on the most, the most high-profile criminal in America. Just going to get a little, a little nap time in. All right. As you do. So, fun fact, guys. Mm-hmm. I typed in Ron Jeremy on Google, no. and the first thing that came up was Ron. The first, the most searched thing was Ron no. Jeremy death. No, that was the most oh, searched oh. thing. However, he is not dead. Okay, also, oh. I guess how old he is. That man is sixty nine years old. Wow. So you said fifty seven. Yeah, I would have guessed seventy or eighty. Like I thought, mm-hmm. this guy was fucking old as hell. Marcus is dangerously close. He is 66 years old. He's gonna die next year. He has to. I thought he was gonna... He has to. No, three years from now. Mm. You said next year. I was gonna say, I thought he was... I thought he was younger because he just looks like he probably lived pretty rough. That's true. (laughs) But yeah. A lot of drugs, a lot of sex. 66 years old, but still alive. Well, thank God for that. So, but episode's not over yet. Good job, Brian. Um, <laughs> the seal remains unbroken. Satan cannot invade the, invade Earth yet. He still lives. We still got Ron Jeremy. But so, yeah. is that it? Oh, uh, all right. We got some more. Is that our podcast? I think that's the podcast. Uh, I guess so. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, signing off. I've been Smith. You can find me on Twitter at mcsurf. I have been and always will be, Seth. You can find me on Letterboxd at Kanazeris, K-Y-N-A-Z-E-R-A-S. And I have and always will be the voice that makes you moist, Marcus. You can find me on Instagram at Mr. Beaches. It's great. We're hitting three different social medias in our <laughs> sign-off. Nice. And so I think you do something else with the show, right, Marcus? I, I also make 
the art for this show. I think. Well, thank, why do I keep forgetting? We should make a counter of every time Marcus has forgotten to say that. <laughs> you really should. Um, our theme song was done by Ben Powell. He uh, has his own podcast called uh, Southern Smackdown, where they they like wrestling and they talk about it. They're both from the South. He was on our last week's episode, their review of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, a movie that uh, we all decided to check out and review. So if you like him, check him out there. Um, you can lead a horse or water, but you can't make it under it. Fuck Kevin Durant, Tom Brady, and the movie First Reformed. Fuck yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, we've stopped trying to solve our problems and just trying to outlive them. And from New Orleans to New York, this is Little Pocket. From New Orleans to New York, this is Little. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> Should someone else do it? From New Orleans to New York. <laughs> this is Elena's podcast, baby. We're out. Out. Peace. Okay, guys.